Isaiah 64, starting at verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes waters to boil. Come down to make your name known known to the enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when did... Or for when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. May God be blessed in the reading of his holy scriptures this morning. Over the next four weeks and into Christmas Day, we're going to be reading from Isaiah. Isaiah is the the prophet uh, from a time uh, a few hundred years before Jesus. And the the main thing that Isaiah deals with over his his, uh, long, long uh, prophecy is this idea of expectation, this idea of anticipation of what's going to come. And it's built around the events of Israel, ancient Israel. So what has happened in ancient Israel is this, that there's, there's going to be in the middle of our story the, the exile happening. So the beginning of Isaiah is an anticipation of the exile. What is leading to the exile? And you can read that in the first few chapters of, of Isaiah. What's going to lead to the exile is the people of God are not acting as the people of God. In fact, the people of God are acting very much like the people all around them except the people of God. They're acting like empires. They're acting with power. They're acting to crush their own people. Jesus, or or God says, I looked for justice and righteousness, and all I found was brutality and bloodshed. I looked for you to be the people of God, and you turned to be people of empire. I gave you gifts. I gave you good things. I gave you land. I gave you Torah. I gave you the priesthood, I gave you temple. And you took advantage of all of those things and you played power games with one another and crushed one another because of it. So he draws them out of the land. So they're drawn away from all the gifts of God so that they would think of nothing but God in the far off land that that all the gifts of God are removed from him so that they can think of nothing but God. But in exile, it gets frustrating and painful. And they're saying, we need to end this exile and return home to our land. And the way to return home to the land is the forgiveness of their sin of not being the people of God. So they're asking God, God, please forgive us. God, we know we're not the right people. 
and God keeps demonstrating again and again what it means. I don't want you to just fast. I don't want you to just do holy celebrations. I don't want you to just do do games of being religious. I'm tired of it. I need you to be the people of God. I need you to be the people of love. I need you to be the people of mercy. I need you to be the people of grace. So if I'm going to return you to the land and forgive your sins, I don't want you to go back there and play games again. I want you to be the people of God. Enough with the power games, more about being love. And so that's the whole kind of what the trajectory of of where Isaiah goes in his whole book. And from Isaiah, as you know, Jesus kind of gets his calling. He reads the Psalms and hears God's voice, but he reads Isaiah. He studies Isaiah and says, this is not only God acting, this is how I have been called to act. So we see Isaiah anticipates where Jesus is going to be as the true Messiah of Israel and hence the world's true Lord. That's how it works through the Old Testament, that when Israel acts and is the way she should be as a a people, the blessing will go out to all the nations. That's Genesis 12. That's how it works in the Old Testament, that if Israel is the people she should be, then it blesses all the nations. So then we get to this passage, Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, obviously right near the end of Isaiah's book, and Isaiah's getting near the end of telling everybody what it's all about. And they've, the, the, the point in the book is actually post-exilic. In other words, they have returned, but they're still not the way it should be. It's still not the way it should be. And Isaiah, the one who has taught patience, I waited patiently on the Lord. We've heard from Isaiah, or from Psalm 40. And the people of God were excited about that idea. We wait patiently for the Lord. We will act, we will listen, we will wait for God to do his thing. Well, by this time, Isaiah's not waiting patiently anymore. He's not waiting patiently anymore. He has got to this place in his life and his understanding of the way God is is going to act, and he doesn't use patient words. I don't know if you heard that when we we read it the first time, that you would rend the heavens. I love good religious words because they miss the actual word. Rend is rip, rip. God, would you rip open the heavens? Would you rip the heavens? Would you boil some stuff? Would you quake some stuff? Would you get going? You don't say this if you're waiting patiently, right? I don't know where you have felt this before, but I I, I feel like this quite a lot. I feel like, God, would you just rip it open and get down here and do your thing? And I think that that's something that's bubbling and and stirring within many of us as we see the world as it shouldn't be right now. The world is not the way it should be. And we pray out and we cry out this same prayer. God, would you rip it out? Would you take and get involved? I think of of, of all of the things that, that are like that that are times in our life where we, we cry out to God and say, would you end this moment? Because we have hope of what's coming next. My wife and I, because it's, it's fun and because the library offers this, watch a lot of Call, Call the Midwife. Has anybody watched Call the Midwife? In every single episode, there is a young lady who says, get this baby out of here! 
Very similar to this kind of expression, isn't it? Would you just get this babe? My wife didn't say any of that. She waited patiently upon the Lord. But this one, she, this one is, 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 is screaming out. We wonder, actually, was Mary ever like that? I don't know. We, we, use, we use Christmas songs that make the moment really romantic, right? The cattle were lowing, the baby uh, awake, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. What? What? I had three of them. None of them ever not cried. And I think, man, I don't know. I don't know. Dude, have we over-romanticized that moment of, of Mary? Silent night, holy night. Not for Mary, right? <laughs> It wasn't silent or holy for her. It was painful and it was birth, right? So it, I just think that we've over-romanticized that moment a little bit. And I wonder if there was just a moment where she actually screams out something like, get this baby out, right? That moment of just anticipation of the next moment, uh, anticipation of what's coming. And that's where Isaiah is. He says the, the world is pregnant with anticipation of what God is going to do. We actually use that expression, or Paul uses that expression in, in Romans, and we're going to get to that right at the end of our time together today. The, the, that the world is pregnant with anticipation of what's coming, and it needs to get out and get open. Would you rip open the heavens, God? Would you act now? Would you boil and would you quake? Would you act now? Now, why do I say all that? Because it's, it's, that's the way we're starting today. But there's, there's, there's points to how this works. How does this work where there is people who will not cry this out? I don't know if you know this, but some of us feel the pain very deeply, and we have hope in our Jesus, and we have hope in our God, and we say, okay, Lord, you are the one who has acted in the past. That's where Isaiah goes next. You have acted in the past, so I actually ask you to act again in the present. Because you have acted, you will act in the present. That's how God works. That's how Isaiah works. That's how Israel understands their God. If you've acted in the past, you will act again. Some of us, some of us don't feel that. Some of us don't feel the pains of the world. Some of us don't feel that we need to even cry out to God. Some of us are too comfortable. Some of us have got to the place where we don't cry out to God. Would you change this thing? Would you rip it apart? Would you quake? Would you boil? Because some of us have got a little too comfortable with the way it is. A lot of us actually benefit from the way it is. And we say, no, I actually kind of wouldn't mind if you just kept going the way it is. It'd be fine. And we don't feel the pain of, of the brokenness. We don't feel the pain of the injustices. We don't feel the pain of the exhaustion of the way it needs to be or the way it could be because we're sitting on the sidelines going, it's actually not too bad for me. And the people of God have never been the people who just say, it's about me. The people of God have always been the people who go to those who are broken, the people who are hurting, the people who are in unjust situations, and they take the pain upon themselves and say, this is not just your pain, we're in this together. We're going to be community together, and your pain of injustice is my pain of injustice. And I happen to know a dude who can fix this. Rip open the heavens! That's why we cry to our God, because we have got out of that comfort place. 
We have prayed to God and said, listen, Lord, I need, I know I'm too comfortable. I know I've got this going for me, but I need to get out of this. I need to hear the cry of the poor. I need to hear the cry of the unjust. And I need to be right there in the midst of it. So that I would ask that you act once again. So there's people on one side who can't cry out because they're too comfortable. Then there's people in the middle in that sweet spot who know the pain of the way it is and say, Lord, would you act? Lord, would you do something? But then there's people over here who don't cry out either. There are a lot of the folks I deal with. I, we, I, I'm part of a, an organization called Sanctuary, a church that works downtown London. And, and there's, there's five of us on staff, and we got a, a, a bunch of volunteers and some amazing supporters and this whole community of folks that have been seeing oppression, who have seen homelessness and have seen poverty affect them daily. The crushing impact of that daily upon their life. And after a while of the daily crushing of the way it is, you begin to believe you deserve it. And you don't have hope that it changes. One of the more interesting things of the way COVID has impacted our community at Sanctuary is that not many of our folks got really upset about it. While the rest of us were, were shifting dramatically from a life that was, the life of what we would call freedom, and we could move anywhere and go to any coffee shop we wanted to whenever we wanted to. Bonnie and I went to a store the other day, and the, a security guard met us at the door and said, do you have an appointment? We're like, we're just trying to go to a store. And it's just this odd shift. Would you agree with me? It's this odd shift to this world that we're trying to live in right now in a COVID world and, and trying to figure out what, what we can do and what we can't do and, and who can go where and all of that type of stuff that we're trying to work out. Well, it hasn't dramatically impacted our folks on the street because it's just one more thing, right? It's just one more in a long line of things. So their life was institutionalized before we added masks and told them they couldn't sit anywhere and they had to get their meals to go. We added a few more institutionalized rules to their already institutionalized life. And a lot of folks in that situation over here lack hope, so they don't cry out anymore. So what is this passage written for? Well, I believe this passage is written to afflict the comfortable to challenge the comfortable and say, are you just too comfortable that you don't cry out anymore? Have you cried recently, rip open the heavens? Have you actually cried, rip open the heavens? If you're not, you're probably a little too comfortable. You're probably a little too easily sitting in your spot going, ah, things are not too bad in the world for most people. Because it is painful for a lot of folks, so it's to afflict those who are comfortable, but it's also to comfort those afflicted that there is a God who will rip open the heavens. There's a God who will take care of us, a God who will be part of this world. And now the, 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 the prophet then speak, begins to walk through how he, he's going to, to, to convince his God to do this thing. So the first thing he presents to God is, you've acted in the past. You've acted in the past. Please act again. You were the God who surprised us. Do you remember when you surprised us? You shook holy ground when you surprised us. Can you surprise us again, please, Lord? Can you act in this world once again, please, Lord? Please do your thing just one more time. 
And then, and then uh, the prophet outlines, uh, or, or outlines how that happens normally. He said, if we're the righteous people, you'll act for sure. If we're, if we're good people, if we're the way we should be righteous, it means you, you're sticking to covenant, by the way. That they're, they're, they're covenantal people, that we're being the blessing to the nation's people, that we're, 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 we're taking the, the, the pain of the world upon us and we're pouring out the blessings that you pour into us upon all people. That's who we are. That's righteous, that we would be the righteous people. And, and then the prophet says, but we're not. So now what? He, he actually uses some, some really strange expressions for how we're not not. How not we're not. All our righteous acts are filthy rags. The rags he's discussing are, are not the ones that we use to wipe the floor or the table. Not those type of filthy rags. They're the ones that are used on the body to absorb liquids. So they're, they're used if you've got a wound or there's, they're, they're used to, to, to absorb any type of blood or anything. Those are the rags. And they're the rags that need to be changed because when you absorb, we have a dude in our community who's got a, a big old wound and we get to, uh, in, 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 in a, a position of utter humility, change these, these filthy rags because he doesn't get to go to the doctor too often. He, he's nervous about the way a doctor might treat him or a nurse might treat him. He hasn't had a good past with that. He hasn't had good, um, yeah, relationship with people who have, uh, in, in the medical world. So he comes to us and asks us to change these, these wounds on his, his arm. And, and it's the rags that he's got on there are filthy. And they've got a sm smell to them, right? You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's, what, that's what the prophet is saying. All that we do, all the times that we try to be life-giving is kind of that stink of post-life, right? That's what he's saying. He's like, that's the smell. We're kind of that. That's what we are. I understand we are. And the, the fact that he calls us a we in like this, I like this position of the, the, the prophet in this one because it's not a finger pointing one. He's like, nah, look at those guys. Those are the bad guys. <sighs> yeah, God, deal with them. We get that a lot in the Bible, don't we? We get that a lot, but not here. Here we get God, we are all. We are all afflicted by this. The prophet himself is saying, I'm too comfortable. I'm, 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 I'm not the way I should be. We're not the way we should be. The way of empire, the way of violence, the way of, of crushing others, the way of getting advantage from, from making other people down, downtrodden, that's, that's my way too, the prophet is saying. But he's also exhausted with being that way. It's like the prodigal son. The prodigal son on his way home is just exhausted with what was. He took advantage for the longest time, and he was that, that, the filthy rags for the longest time, and he just got to his senses that one time, and he said, I'm going to do it now. i got to change, but I don't know how, so I'm just going to walk home to dad, and, and I'm going to give myself and say, I'm useless, but I'm nothing but your dad. And dads take care of us useless kids. That's what you dads do. So that's, that's how it ends here. That's how the, the prophet ends. He says, I, I know your dad. I know you're my father. I know you're our father. So, so now act. I know we're all filthy, and I know we're all not the way we should be. I know that, that we're not everything you want us to be. But you are the father. You are the father. You are the potter, and we are the clay. 
You make us into what you want us to be. You form us into what you want us to be. And so there's this weird little trust right at the end of the prophet saying, God, step into the world and do it. I know we don't deserve it, but please do it anyways. That, my friends, is the story of Jesus, isn't it? It's God stepping into the world. It's God ripping open the heavens. Mark's gospel actually uses the expression of ripping open the heavens. Do you guys know where? Ripping open the heavens. At the baptism of Jesus, at the baptism of Jesus, Mark uses the exact same expression as Isaiah. In fact, if you read a lot of Mark, you'll know that Mark was quite inspired by the work of Isaiah. You'll see that there's little phrases and little ideas that, that Mark picks up and just plants right into his gospel that, that is, is part of the way Isaiah wrote. And the way that he describes the baptism of Jesus. That moment when the Spirit comes upon Jesus like a dove. That moment where God speaks to Jesus and says, you are my beloved. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. He calls it a rending of heaven. That God rends the heavens. He rips open the heavens and this dove descends upon Jesus. The answer to Isaiah's prayer, the answer to Isaiah's plea is in Jesus. The coming of the Spirit upon Jesus and the voice from heaven to all of us, not just to Jesus. Because the voice to, of God to Jesus becomes the voice of God to each one of us baptized in Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That these are your words. You are my child. You are my beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit descends on you like a dove, and calls you to be the answer to this prayer. How do we know that that's where it's going? Let's turn to Romans 8 and hear that pregnancy passage now. Romans 8, starting at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. For in this hope we were saved. So the Spirit is, is brooding over the whole world, and the world is longing for release, is pregnant with anticipation, is screaming to God, would you release us from the injustice that it's been on the whole world? And he's talking here about everything upon the world, not just the physical aspect of the world, but the people of the world. Everything that's gone wrong in the world is crying out to God, groaning out to God. And what does it say next? That we who have been baptized in that same spirit groan as well. Where the world hurts, we hurt. That, my friends, is the call of the church. Where the world hurts, we hurt. This is a passage in Isaiah 
that not only anticipates Jesus, but it anticipates the call of the church to be the people we were always called to be. That their places of injustice, the places of brokenness, are the places where we go. And we cry out to our God. And we give hope to the afflicted. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for a passage like this. Very shocking and, and very deliberate in its detail. And it's hard for us to hear at times because uh, I think we sit in, in positions of, of, of where we're, we're not always challenged by stuff like this. And I hear a, a, a challenge like a passage like this and I wonder, what, what do I need to give? What do I need to offer? How can I do it? But first we need to see the way you act, Father. The way that you will answer this prayer. Rip open the heavens Boil and quake, our Lord, and help us to follow you in that. And we thank you that the prayer was answered in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that in him we find our way to be, to be among the broken, to be among those who are most tossed aside, and maybe to admit in the midst of that how broken and tossed aside each one of us are that we would be honest with you, we would be honest with one another, and we would see our own poverty as we help those in poverty. Bless us by your presence, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.